0: Welcome to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast with me, Kaylee Boisvert. I specialize in helping people to achieve their financial goals. I have a love for all things numbers, and I am passionate about financial literacy. My goal is to spark healthy and positive conversations around wealth and investment, and create a world where nobody is limited by their financial situation. But wealth is just one piece in the equation of living our best lives. So join me as we explore both wealth and wellness topics. From your net worth to your self-worth, get ready to take confident action. Hello, this is Kaylee, and thank you for tuning in to the Wealth and Wellness Podcast. Today we are talking all about tackling the money conversation. And we are joined by special guest, Aaron Thorpe, Um, I met Erin a few years ago um, when I was having in-person events, so she very kindly agreed to come and talk at one of the in-person events, Um, and these were one of the events that I hosted for just women audience, so there was a large group of women crowded into my boardroom. I was, you know, busy grabbing extra chairs because there were so many people that wanted to hear about what you were talking about that day. I remember it very clearly, Mm -hmm. and I also remember I first found out about you from hearing from my mom. My mom said, you have to reach out to this girl, this woman. Um, So that's why I first originally reached out to Erin. But Erin, by background, um, is a professional engineer. And now she's a certified coach, a published author. And she's not one to back down from a challenge. She has been disrupting the default her entire life after being told to fix her emotional self for the better part of her career as a project manager, Erin set out to learn how to harness the power of empathy and use it as an effective tool to lead high-performing teams. Based on her own experience and training, Erin is passionate about teaching, mentoring, and coaching others to embrace their emotions, connect with empathy, and deeply engage the people they lead. So thank you
1: so much for being here, Erin. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so glad we get to connect again and chat. I was fondly remembering that day in the boardroom as well here not too long ago wishing for in-person events they'll I know. come back I,
0: yeah yeah not only was it in person but we were like very crowded yes, so there yes. was, there was no people. social <laughs> yes <laughs> um well just to start out Erin can you tell us a little bit more about your journey and kind of what brought you to the work you're doing now today
1: for sure um I think there's a few things that kind of got me here um you know, one start at the top of the list. <laughs> one being, I didn't see a ton of um, role models in my career path that were doing doing things the way that I wanted to do them. and I mean that in ways of, you know, how families they had, the life that they were building, um, and the career that they were building. Um, so having this, Trying to find this harmony between life and work for me is incredibly important. My family is at the top of my list, and and I also want to do really rewarding, impactful work in the world. Um, So when I looked around in my career in construction and as a project manager, I didn't see a whole lot of people like me. so I started to look outside of the industry to sort of go, okay, well, like, how, do, how does one do this? How do they achieve fulfillment on both the family and work front? And that really spiraled me into this like journey of professional development and personal development um, that I'm super grateful for today. But it's been a lot of heavy lifting, right? It's just kind of learning how to how to cultivate the things that you want, how to ask for what you need. Um, and specifically, you know, in today's topic around tough conversations, it's it's been a lot of those, you know, uh, throughout my career. So, you know, got to this point in my career where I was able to find the balance for me um, as a project manager and then really wanted to share how I did that and, you know, what might be possible for people. I have... You know, looking back, um, by the time I was ready to leave my career, I was finally at a point where, you know, um, I was able to access executive coaching, if you will, because I had finally made it to this point in my career and had this title that I could could access that. And I really got to thinking, like, why is it just like why do I have to slog through the trenches before I'm able to access this support? What would it be like if we started to work with leaders early on in their journey, early on in their careers, arm them with the tools, the skills, the knowledge, and give them a chance to practice these so that by the time they get to that executive level, they've already got good habits, high emotional intelligence. Um, They're able to kind of lead with empathy and connect to their people. So that's, that's kind of what's brought me here to today. I focus with, you know, work on I work with frontline and mid-level leaders in corporations. I work with business owners and entrepreneurs who are now growing their team to really strike that balance between great results and greater relationships.
0: Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And like you said too, getting that coach along the journey. I'm all about working with a coach and having these people in your corner to support you along the way on the journey. So I love that too. Well,
1: and I think- before. Oh, sorry, go on. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, I think sometimes we get, you know, like we all have leaders in our journey. I don't know that our leaders have great coaching skills and quite frankly, they need to be concerned about other things. And I think that's where this balance of having a leader who's, who's in your corner and also a coach can be so powerful to really helping you find like your kind of sweet spot, your, your high performance, you're highly effective, but you're also, highly connected to you and to the things that matter to you.
0: Yes. Yeah. And you're right. Kind of picking a coach versus your leader, because coach, the benefit is like, as an outsider, sometimes they see the blind spots, like we're so ultra focused or in it that they're going to see the things that, you know, when you're in the company, you're not necessarily seeing as well. So exactly. um, I love that. Before we get into chatting, then specifically about the tackling the money conversation, um, can you just talk a little bit about what you mean by leading with empathy? Because that's something that you know is is the work you do, and um, and your book was based on that topic. But yeah. for people that don't even know what that means, myself yeah. included, <laughs> just to making sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that sometimes, like people who are good at it, probably don't even know that they do what they do and why they do it, and people who who don't have access to some of these skills and abilities don't even know that they exist. I actually was talking to um, an industry contact here last week who said, I overheard a conversation between two people where one of them was saying that empathy is a skill that can't be learned. You're either born with it or you're not. Um, Evidence would suggest otherwise. There are specific skills and, and behaviors that are highly correlated with the practice of empathy and what i mean by leading with empathy is really to have that um, balance between performance and the people right so it's it's not it's sometimes easier to explain what it's not so it's not this like super focus on results and it's not this bowing to the whims of my team and allowing everyone to have what they need and want. And, you know, um, to the point where there's zero structure and you never know if who's coming into work today, because that's, that's the opposite end of, you know, leading with empathy there. So there is, there is still this element of, we need to care about performance, but we also need to have this eye on our people too. So practicing things like, so some of the empathic skills are, um, listening with the intent to be influenced right? Um, being able to take perspective. So like you said, that coach has that outside view that things we can't see when we lead with empathy we're we're constantly cultivating that perspective taking, like, what is it that I'm missing? What can't I see? Right. We're being curious about that. Um, we have this capacity to understand emotion and communicate emotion. So we're not scared of the emotional conversation when we lead with empathy. Um, We're not scared of it and we can maintain boundaries around it, right? So we don't dive into our team members, you know, super personal issue and take all that weight on ourselves, but we can allow them space to explore it. We can make accommodations in the work if it's necessary. Um, We can support them through the journey that they're on. And again, it just comes back to that eye on performance and the people because we need the people to get the work done. So when we don't pay attention to the people, it's often the results that suffer. And we just sort of maintain focus on the results and keep pushing harder and harder and harder. When in my experience, um, if we come back and have a little look at the people and figure out what might be going on there, we can usually have better results.
0: Yeah. And just as you're saying that it just sounds so relevant for everything we've been going through lately. Like if anything, all we need, like we need so much empathy right now because like our work and careers have been turned upside down in our personal lives. So, um, that's really good information for what we're going through right now, especially for leaders to embrace that. And your book
1: is called inside out empathy, correct? It is. Yeah, it is. And, um, yeah, it's available on Amazon and Indigo, uh, wherever you kind of buy your books. Uh, I was just going to say, you, you reminded me of something. You know, we used to have this, or there, I don't know if everyone had this belief, but there was almost like this, mm, I'm going to call it a belief because I can't think of another word right now. But there was this belief that we were kind of these, you know, we had this work self and this home self, like there's Kaylee at home and then there's Kaylee at the office, right? And And we can only we have to kind of play that role or wear that mask or be that person. And what COVID has taught us in this time is that we are one person. Like I am Erin who has three kids and a dog and you'll see her walk by in the video probably. And you know what, like I can't hide that from you anymore because you're in my home, right? And so it's forced us to become whole people. And unfortunately as leaders, we've been taught to only deal with the work person right? That's where the focus has been. So you're absolutely right. COVID has, has demanded that we step into this role as leaders and, and deal with the whole person. And that's where um, empathy and the skills around empathy and leading with empathy can really, really help us out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So at least, yeah, it's sort of, it's forced us to look at work differently and for leaders to um, look at, at people as their whole selves too. Cause yeah. it's, and it's important that we do, cause we can't, I mean, I'm a single parent to a six-year-old daughter and, you know, for the longest time I did try to kind of hide that element to myself. Cause yeah. it's like, no, I got to show up as professional Kaylee and you know, that there's, can't talk about that, gotta leave that yeah. at home. But then it's when I did start embracing it more and talking about it more, you know, it, it helps people just understand and connect. And, and then there's other yeah people that are dealing with this stuff or single parents or um whatnot and then it's just more relatable and and it actually helps us sort of develop relationships with each other and things like that um absolutely Yeah, I love that. So then let's get into the conversation about tackling the the money conversation. I love this because I'm I'm the numbers financial professional person. And um, I always tell people we need to talk about money more. I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, But that being said, I guess I've never really given them much instruction beyond that of, you know, what does that look like then? Or how do we do that? So to start, can we talk about maybe like, why do you think people don't talk about money? What are some of the biggest like roadblocks and fears that we have?
1: Absolutely. I think the biggest thing, um, money is one of the biggest shame triggers that exist, right? When you think about things that put people into that kind of feeling ashamed, um, kind of withdrawn, um, buttoning up kind of mode, money is like top of the list. And and I think you're right. It's because we don't know enough about it. It's not something, you know, we take math all the way through school, but nobody ever teaches us like how to balance a checkbook or what an investment is. And, you know, I've got kind of teenage kids now, and we're starting to have these conversations and it's fascinating because they're like, we don't learn this stuff. Why don't we learn this in school? Like they're starting to ask those questions. So I think one of the biggest roadblocks right off the bat is just money is a shame trigger, right? When we're not doing it well, we don't want to share that because who doesn't, like, we need money to survive. So when we're not doing it well, when there's, you know, cash flow problems or debt problems or, you know, anything like that, who wants to air that dirty laundry? Like, I don't want to come and say, hey, Kaylee, I have this issue over here, you know, credit cards are maxed out and all of that because it's hugely shaming for me. Um, And when we're doing it well, we also don't make room for celebration, right? Because then it's like somebody might feel left out or somebody might feel like I'm bragging or being boastful or, um, you know, so there's this really on both ends of the spectrum, there's just a lot of um, shame is the only word. And what's interesting to me about shame and for any listeners who follow Brene Brown's work, I mean, she will tell you that empathy is the antidote to shame, right? And so... Learning how to tackle these conversations with empathy is the key to getting people to have more conversations.
0: Okay. Yeah, I love that. You're right. There is such um, big shame sort of triggers around it. Um, And yeah, you're right. That not doing it well. And the minute you feel like you're not doing it well, it's just like you freeze, you do nothing beyond that point, right? You're not going to take action to take steps to make positive changes, even as small as they could be, because it's mm-hmm. just like freeze shutdown mode.
1: Yeah. And what I'm finding really fascinating in my work, this is um, a thread we will not go down today, but it, it's, it seems relevant right now is, you know, there there's like this tipping point and I'm watching it in my teenagers right now where, you know, when they're little and learning um, my 11 year old, my 14 year old, they don't care. They just tackle anything they'll put up their hand and they'll say, I don't know how to do it, but sure, show me the way, right? I'm watching my 16 year old who's starting to kind of, well, I don't know how to do it and people might expect that I know how to do it. So maybe I shouldn't say anything, you know? And you're starting to see that. And then I see it in like myself too, even in, you know well now I'm mid forties and I better know how to have this, you know money conversation. And and the reality is, is I don't know everything about it, you know, Um, and there are people far more educated, skillful, knowledgeable, that I shouldn't be um, held back to lean on, and I should be encouraged to go and, and seek their counsel and their advice. Um, because I don't know everything about money and other people don't know everything about empathy and leadership, and that's okay. And we don't have to be experts in everything. But as adults, yeah. we have this real barrier to being learners. Yeah, like it's too late. But with yeah. kids, they'll, you're
0: right, they'll try anything new anything. and say anything. Like yeah. Ivy's, my daughter's in grade one and she tells me some of the questions she asked the teacher and I'm like, <laughs> interesting um but yeah as adults we're kind of like "Mm, we don't know but we don't want to ask so we just kind of keep that to ourselves and in my business I always say to people you know there's no such thing as a dumb question and um I mean even in saying that I don't want people to think there is like the definition of a dumb question like I don't want them to think what's coming out of their mouth is is dumb that's not at all what I mean either but just if there's any way to break down the barrier to say ask anything because sometimes it's you know, just the asking like, well, who would even work with a financial advisor or how much money do you have to have? Like, and it's when you're in it, you just expect people to know. So I'm guilty of this too. We just say like, oh, mutual funds, ETFs. And, and sometimes people will stop me and say, well, what's an ETF? I'm like, oh, great question. And so it brings me back to the reminder, but I, it is so important that we ask and not, um, you know, not feel held back from asking those questions because yeah. you're right. It's, it's no shame. It's no, it's just, we don't know. And the more we ask, and I think that's kind of sometimes what differentiates, I, I put it out there on my Instagram post. I said, women are fabulous investors. Cause I often see, um, you know, less confidence in women investors than men, men investing and and then someone commented, "Women are even better statistically as investors." I'm like, "You're right, actually. I think that's what the statistics show too." But um, and I think too, the the secret or the trick that like women often do is is they are more willing to ask some of those questions yes. um, when they do feel comfortable enough. Versus sometimes men think they're expected to know everything about stocks and investing or whatever that yes. realm is, and they just um, have to play that part and not not necessarily
1: ask the questions. So yeah, so many things tied up in there.
0: Yeah. Do you, could you comment, like, what do you think then uh, when we talk about money conversations, um, is there anything we can comment as far as like differences between men and women or anything like that on their approach to the conversations?
1: Um, I don't, I don't have a big gender kind of lens right now around the specific money conversation. I think, um, I think we're both equally able to get defensive and to go into that, like fight, flight, or freeze mode, especially, especially when, um, you know, if you think about a money conversation between a couple, like it can very quickly become, you did something wrong or you did something right, or, you know, um, it becomes very polarized, I guess is the word. Um, and I think, you know, there's, and, and I've experienced it myself, just that unwillingness to kind of reach out to my advisor and say, Hey, we're going through some life stuff right now, because you think you can tackle it on your own and it's going to be short-lived. And it's just this little while. And then just this little while turns into 18 months and, you know, and you reach out finally, cause you're kind of at that breaking point and you have that conversation and it's, you know, you've got a plan forward in like a week and it's like, why didn't I do this sooner? You know? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, the biggest thing is just being willing to kind of really look honestly at what's going on in your life and then to be willing to say either this is working or this isn't working and I'm out of my depth, right? Like I'm not the expert.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like just acknowledging that, um, and yeah, and just accepting that and, and And asking for help from the people around us, whether it is a professional or whether it is, you know, a trusted colleague or friend or someone in your life that you could, you know, think you can count on or would know that information, but reaching out and not thinking you have to do it
1: all on your own. I would, I highly recommend that to people. It's Um, kind of like if you have an illness, like you're not going to, you know, sit and tackle some physical ailment that you might have on your own in your living room with, you know, WebMD or Google Doc, right? Like it, you're going to go seek some professional help. It's no different um, when it comes to money, right? Very few of us are experts. Uh, most of us are know enough to be dangerous, I would say, and, you know, and need that outside perspective, you yeah. know? And, and I think that's the other big thing is um, certainly in my experience, seeking the counsel and advice is not that's the first step. It doesn't mean that you're committed to taking action or having to implement or, you know, like you're not going to be kind of tied to the person that you go and, and get some counsel from. It really is counsel. It's like, what do you see here? Here's the picture of what's going on in my life. And certainly COVID has upped so many of us, you know, upended kind of what we had in our plans. So it's time for that, you know, to just go, things have changed and maybe nothing's changed. Is this still okay? You know?
0: Yeah. But it's really,
1: it's getting past that initial like defensiveness um, and realizing that just because somebody sees something different from the way that you've been doing it, they're not saying you're wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the hard part too. We're always mm-hmm. like, am I be going to be judged or, Yeah, am I, yeah. Am I not doing this right? Cause people, when it comes to money conversations um, like I find there's a lot of comparisons. Is that something you see as well? Like, is that part of what's holding us back or the idea of comparing
1: ourselves to others? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, judgment and comparison is a form of judgment um, is is part of our human biology that is required for us to stay alive. Like we have to make judgments, right? We have to know, okay, if I turn left in front of that oncoming car, I'm going to get killed. So like, I better not turn left, right? Like we're constantly assessing situations and making judgments. And so to think that we, we can stop ourselves from being judgmental is a bit of a misnomer, but we can learn to recognize when we're being overly judgmental, or when the judgment isn't serving us, right? And I think that's especially important in the money conversation, um, because there is no right answer. There is no one way to save or invest or buy mutual funds or trade stock or you know, there's there's no one way. And everybody's goals and dreams are going to be so vastly different. Their situation is going to be vastly different. Um, what's going on in their life is going to be vastly different that that it's just, um, the more fully I can show up as, you know, a client or a partner in this conversation, the more fully you're able to support me as the professional.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Like embracing your uniqueness, making sure that we're doing that.
1: Yeah. And recognize that those, like, you may fear the judgments because you compare, um, Here's the example that I often use where this thing, this concept really kind of clicked for me. So as a, as a mom and a working mom, I was really um, I was the first one to offer help for you. If you needed anything, I would say, let's go, I'll be there. I'll pick up your kid. I'll buy you groceries. I'll do whatever you need. Like I'll make it happen. But I never asked for help. Never, ever, ever, ever asked for help. And through some of my own personal work, what I began to realize is I had a really strong um, judgment around my worth as a mother meant that I had to do it all. And if I wasn't doing it all, all by myself, I wasn't a good mom, good wife, good contributor. And what kind of solidified this for me is then um, the, the concept is, is that every time I, if I'm not able to receive the same help that I'm able to give, um, every time I give that help, it's coming with that same judgment. And it wasn't until I had to look that right in the face and go, oh my God, like every time I help one of these moms out or I help a, you know, uh, someone in the carpool and I don't allow them to reciprocate, I'm basically saying they're lesser than me. And that's a form of judgment and comparison. And I really had to let that go. And I've been constantly working on it. And I'm a recovering, um, you know, compare, mom comparison person right now, uh, you know, and I and and then now I'm able to invite help and reciprocate. And if somebody drives my kids to the carpool, like, I don't feel like I have to immediately turn around and pay that back because it was just like, it's help and it's support. And I think that's really the case when it comes to the money conversation is, you know, we hold that internal judgment of what we think we should be able to do. So it's not even your judgment as the advisor that I'm worried about. It's my own judgment of my skills and abilities and who I think I should be, which we really yeah. need to look in the mirror on and go, is that, is that even accurate? Like, can I even expect myself to be a financial professional? Well, no, because I don't do anything in the world of the finance, you know, financial professional services. Why would I be an expert? Yeah. yeah. I love that yeah and thanks for sharing
0: that story because I think uh, it's very much like as a mom myself too I can relate to that that pressure and, and you're right. it's like when you're judging yourself, you're automatically sort of judging other people as well in that. Um, yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense. yeah, thank you. And then so for how can we like how would you suggest then if we're saying okay, tackling the money conversation, what would you suggest we do? Or what does that look like? Like what pointers and tips can you give for that?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, So I think it always is important to come back to what's most important, you know, so if it's a conversation between, you know, two spouses, like, are we really arguing about I don't know, the furnace that needs to be replaced, or is this something greater? Like, what is the big thing that matters to both of us? Is it that we make big decisions together? Is it that we're aligned on how we're going to spend our money? Is it that we, you know, we're saving for a vacation or a p- new property or just trying to get through the month? Like, what is most important? Because the minute that fight or flight is triggered and that um, defense mechanism comes up, our motives automatically shift to winning and being right even if we're fighting for something we don't even want. Yeah, I love that. I think we really have to start and own our own judgments and feelings and you know, triggers and shame and, and emotions around money. We have to really understand that. Um, my husband and I have very different money stories. He came from a family of savers. I came from a family of spenders. And so this has been you know, a big conversation in our relationship. And I have to check that you know, just because he's asking me how much is in the savings account is not him saying you're doing a bad job. Cause that's what I hear. Right. Regardless of the amount, regardless of how much I tell him, I automatically hear his question as an attack on my abilities, but that's my deal, not his, right. His question is genuine and, you know, really wants to know kind of where we're at it's my own hangups and my own conditioning and my own story that I need to, to work with. And so that's been a big part of my journey. And I think it's just important. Like, you know, you've got to know how you're feeling on any given day, what that emotion is, what your own triggers are and where you carry shame around money. Right. Because I can't, because, because I came from a family of spenders saving is like really hard, Right, and thank God I have him because he's making my life better. Right, he's he's forcing me to do this stuff that doesn't come very naturally to me. Um, we have this little joke like he does all the research in the family, but if it's a big purchase to buy, like he sends me. He's like, you have to go buy this thing because there's no way I'm going to spend this money. Right, and I've learned to lean on him for that research and to not just go buy the thing, so that we can make yeah. the best purchase possible. Right. And now our kids are kind of watching this in play and they're always laughing, you know, over the holidays, our fridge died. So we had to go get a new fridge and they're like, well, dad, you better find the right fridge because mom's got to go buy it. But it's like, that's how it works in our family. And it's okay now, you know, like we're leaning on each other's strengths.
0: Yeah. I love that. And and seeing it as like complementary because sometimes I think when partners get together and if they have those differences, it's almost like they see it as sometimes like a bad thing or a, a potential cause for conflict mm-hmm. or struggle. But if you really see it for what it is and how, how you can each play to your strengths and totally. it's good for both of you at the end of the day, that's amazing. So sharing those background though, that story, those money stories. So you can both come from a place of understanding to where it comes from
1: where it comes from. I think it's really important when we're in those conversations around money too, to really listen with that intent to be influenced to whatever the other person is saying. You know, you don't have to agree with their perspective. You don't have to say they're right or wrong, but you have to be willing to hold it for a little while and to look at it. I use this analogy in some of my teaching, like our perspective is kind of like a ball, right? And I don't have one here. I usually do have one. I'm looking around my office. It's like a ball that we hang on to, because it's ours and we want it and we hold on to it tight. Well, if I'm trying to look at your perspective, Kaylee, and you're trying to show me your ball and I'm holding on to mine, like I can't I can't take yours. I can't understand it. So I have to be willing to set my perspective down, just off to the side for a minute, take yours, look at it, explore it, ask some curious questions and then give it back to you. And then I can pick mine up again, right? just perspective taking is not saying come to my side and be, you know, like my way is the right way. Perspective taking is just that I'm going to explore what it's like to see the world through your eyes. And I hope in return that you're now more willing to see what the world's like through my eyes, because once somebody feels completely heard and understood by us, they're much more willing to hear what we have to say.
0: Yeah. I love that. And that analogy of like, okay, we have to put down our ball first. I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, Mm -hmm. so then you are fully, yeah. Being open to their perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it works, you know, whether you're in a, a financial services relationship or a couple's relationship, or even with your kids, like, talking to them about what's important and what, what do they think about this? Um, you know, mine are at a point where they're going to get jobs and thinking about student loans and like all this crazy stuff. And it's like, Oh my God, we're here already. I remember 20 years ago, having this conversation with the financial advisor going like someday we're going to send kids to university. And it's like, that's in a year and a half.
0: Yeah. So wow. Here, yeah. It, it, goes fast.
1: Quick. it goes fast.
0: It does. It does. Anything else then on that, where we were talking about tackling the conversation. So you had some good pointers there. Any other ones?
1: Yeah, I think just a couple more quick ones. Don't try to have these tough conversations over text, voicemail, email, um, any, I hear all the time people say, well, I want to write out what I want to say. So it's perfect. Here's the problem with writing it out. All we get is the words. And that's only 7% of communication, right? Body language, tone of voice. That's the other 93% of communication that is totally missing in email and text message. Do not try to have these tough conversations over text message. Like, it's just not going to be effective. And if you do happen to get lucky, that is all it is, is it is pure luck. Because you happen to have someone on the other side of the phone who thinks and acts like you, which is not always the case. Yeah. What's the other one? I think, you know, give yourself permission to step out of the conversation. If it gets heated, give yourself permission to take a break. You know, if, if you're somewhere where it's like, you know, I can't say I need a break. You could say, can I just excuse myself for five minutes? I need to go take a walk or get a drink of water or go to the washroom or, you know, something like that. When we are triggered in our fight or flight, it takes around a minute and a half to three minutes for that adrenaline rush and all of those emotions, like the hormones and, and chemicals that our brain releases to subside. So taking a five minute break can really do wonders to getting things back on track. Okay. I love that. I those are really good. Tips. Those are sort of the high level, like big things without getting right down into, you know, nuance stuff. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, And for couples then that are like newly coming together, like that's where I find the conversation is, um, it's almost that it's, it's difficult or it is that, that uncomfortable or shame or whatever it is, but it's, so it's like couples, you know, getting married or maybe they're, um, you know, couples on their second relationships in life. Like, you know, they've been married and now they're um, divorced and they're with a new partner. And I I find there's still sometimes like a disconnect and they haven't talked about finances with that partner. So for couples in the position where they haven't felt like they've been able to go deep in that conversation um, with their partner, like what would you suggest for them um, to help get you them there? Because I think it is so important that we openly communicate oh, about absolutely. money um, for relationships. So if couples are kind of hesitant or on the fence about that, how can they get there?
1: Yeah, I think in that case, it's really important to recognize that money's the content of the conversation, but really what we're trying to do is build respect and trust in the relationship, right? That's actually what's most important. And so, you know, going back to that, that piece of advice around figuring out what's most important and coming back to that, you know, if couples could say, you know, really what I want is this trusting, respectful relationship with you. And part of that means that we openly share about finances. Um, we need to have this conversation. And we're doing it from this place of mutual respect and deep trust, not who's balancing, you know, what checkbook and how much is in each account, right? It's just around, um, we need to have that conversation. Those are facts that contribute to the conversation, Um, but really to, and and then to just really own your own money story. Like, you know, I have had to come out and, and say, and learn to say, you know, I'm feeling triggered right now because I know I'm not, saving does not come naturally to me. I have to work on it and, and that's okay. And so when he asks that question, I can go, he's actually just asking how much is in the account. There's no hidden implied message. There's no, Aaron, you're a terrible person. Like there's none of that coming on. That is all my projection of my stuff, right? And so really, really learning to kind of own that and, and our emotions and being able to communicate those stories and those emotions.
0: Yeah. And for couples that, what if they choose to kind of keep things more separate when it comes to finances? Like, is there a way to still keep things separate, but still have that, you know, be healthy and still that you're on the same page with maybe goals Mm -hmm. or future plans, but still be able to maintain that
1: separateness? Is that possible? i think so i think it all comes down to again just like what's important like if 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 i'm coming into a second relationship and it's really important that i maintain my financial independence then i need to be upfront about that and i i shouldn't i wouldn't want to hide that and like spring it on someone late in the relationship right like that's going to be something that is really important to me um and you know there's probably things I'm willing to give up and things that I'm not right. And I need to, I need to be clear on what those are. So it's a lot of, you know, I think before we go into any one of these like tough conversations, there's a lot of prep work that has to happen internally with ourselves. We think we can just kind of wing it. Um, And it's not the case because we have to get a lot of stuff sorted out inside first. Like what is important and what am I willing to give up and what are the no-go's Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. in being upfront about that. Um, at the beginning, like if that is Mm -hmm. a value of yours being very financially independent, saying that sooner than later. Um, and so this is great for conversations with spouses, partners, um, But what about like, I had a, I had a podcast a while back and it was, um, a woman talked about how just as women, we don't even talk to our friends about money enough, maybe like she says, Mm -hmm. men are often, you know, talking about their stocks they're investing in and things like that. But as women, you know, we don't sit down and and start talking stocks or, um, or, or maybe talking about money conversations. So is there a way for us to have these conversations just, um, in relationships that aren't necessarily like a partner but just you know people that we trust because I think there is value in that because we we learn from each other so I think we do
1: need to have them but how could we approach it I, I agree and again I think it just comes back down to like what what is your intention with that conversation is it like hey I've you know I've got this meeting coming up with my planner and I, I'm not sure if I'm doing this or that, like, would you be open to having that conversation? Right. We don't have to talk about how much or, you know, in what and dollars and cents necessarily, but just more of that like strategic conversation, or if you want to have like a dollars and cents conversation, I think asking permission to do that, you know, would it be okay if we talked about that? Um, I had a colleague, an acquaintance who is now working in similar space to me called the other day and was like, I really hesitate to ask you this, but can we talk about like charge out rates? And I'm like, absolutely. Like I wish somebody, I knew somebody that I could have called because I've had to figure this out the hard way. So um, I think it's great when people can can call and and ask ask those kinds of questions and, and do solicit them. Um, the worst someone's gonna say is no. I think yeah. sometimes, we stop ourselves because we anticipate this really dramatic, uh, you know, we foreshadow this like dramatic and, and aggressive response. And it's like, if you ask politely with positive and, and pure intentions, the worst they're going to say is like, I'm not open to having that conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's fine. And it means that's fine. And then
1: then you go on and that's, and some people won't be. And I think that's the thing is we need to be respectful of that because we don't know what, what their perspective is. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes in their world and, and money still does make people uncomfortable.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So yeah, just being brave and, and putting it out there and what, what is our intention? What, what are we trying to find out? And, and yeah, I'm sure if, people are happy to share. Um, and you're right, like they'll put on limitations or boundaries on what is in their comfort level. But I think there is a lot of value for us having these conversations with with people in our inner circles, because we do learn a lot from each other. So the more we are having these conversations, that's, that's a learning process too. And I think there's um, such a lack of financial literacy, like we talked about not enough in school and things like that. So might as well be sort of sucking it up as much as we can, absorbing cool. it wherever we can. Totally. Yeah. Um, can we talk about, so in tackling the money conversation, also what comes to mind is, um, like salary negotiations or asking Mm. for raises and that kind of money conversation, or if you're an entrepreneur and you're asking for, um, you know, you're saying what your rates are to clients and things
1: like that. When it's, when it's that conversation, do you have any tips for that? Uh, much the same. I think, you know, you've got to do kind of, you've got to do some background work in terms of research and know the market, right? Um, and so there's this outward kind of research around like the market and the going rates and what the, you know, what people are willing to pay. But there's also a lot of internal work in terms of our own worth, right? And it's, it is a mindset around, do I believe I'm worth that, Right um, I was having this conversation with a client the other day who, um, really wants to be at a certain rate where her peers are, but is kind of stuck a few, a few rungs below that and can't get over that. And we just started to list out like, okay, so what are all the reasons why you could charge that amount? Right. And it's like, she goes on this list. It's like, I've got my MBA and I've got 15 years of experience. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, you should be charging more than we want right like she's reading me this list and i'm like this is amazing like why are you not charging more but i think sometimes again we we um we don't do that work inside right to kind of really challenge ourselves like is this a limiting belief that's holding me back or is this in service of my greatest self because i will tell you from personal experience and experience with clients when we undervalue ourselves we do not show up fully in a way that actually honors the client sitting across the table from us or the work that's sitting across the table from us. And when we are paid fairly and, um, there's a fair comp, um, exchange of compensation and work, people get the best of you.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we have to make the, make the list of all the, the qual or our qualities or strengths, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause that's helpful too, you, right? Doing some of that homework or, well, you know, and just why going back,
1: going back to this client, what had happened was, is she had a very, a mentor very early on in her career, who she really looked up to, who had said a couple of really key phrases from, from their perspective that were true for them, but were not true for her. And she took them as the truth and w- didn't even realize she was carrying them around as limiting beliefs. Yeah. So you've got to go back and do that exploration work. Like, why do I believe that I'm only worth X, Y, Z? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then the awareness piece can come from that. I love that. Um, So yeah, to be mindful of time, is there any sort of tips or um, things that maybe we didn't cover that you want to leave listeners with before we wrap up?
1: I don't think so. Um, you're welcome to follow me on any of the usual social media channels. Uh, it's just my name, Erin Thorpe. There's no E on the end of that, which uh, often trips people up. I do have a free training coming up in February on uh, February 16th, starting in my Facebook group. Um, if anyone wants to jump in there, I'd love to have you. And it's specifically around tackling the tough conversation. So we're going to be going deep. Okay. So lots of tough conversations,
0: but I mean, what, even this money one, it's almost like you can sort of take that into other realms of our life and tough conversations. I like that. I love that. So um, I'll include all the links in the show notes for people to access your Facebook group and and whatnot. Um, So yeah. Is that just the best way for people to reach out social media and.
1: Yeah. I have a website, erinthorpe.ca as well. So um,
0: yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being thank here you. today, Aaron. I loved that. This is yeah, like just, you know, getting our minds open to, like you said, going back to what's important and um, yeah, going, just digging deep into what it's about. And then it, you know, it's not about just the money and the numbers and the yeah. dollar signs. It's, it's going deeper than that. So yeah, I love that. Very good tips. Thank you so much, Erin. So thank you everyone for joining and we will catch you next time. Thank you. I hope you found value in this episode. And because I'm such a proponent of taking confident action, I want to pose a question to you, the listener. What is one action that you feel inspired to take after listening to today's episode? If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much, and I will catch you next time.